Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. We're recording from actually my house today. Richard was kind enough to drive all the way out to Southeast Portland uh, so we could record the podcast. So not not the usual view of Providence Park, but um, my dog Porkchop is sure liking this. He's asleep. <laughs> right this is our us. fourth different location recording yes. the show since we started. And we've been doing this for what, two and a half months? Yeah. We're going to have to get more creative. When we had Anne on the show, it was my idea to record that show over wine. So one day <laughs> we're going to have to do that too, just not this particular show yeah no 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 wine today just uh just like i guess some up and down uh timbers and thorns discussions to talk about today nothing too crazy on either end but uh i guess let's start with the timber side uh we can get more positive as the, <laughs> as the podcast goes yeah along. we could escalate as yes. we go along because um, <laughs> i guess a surprising result on saturday surprising in the sense that 15 games unbeaten for the timbers with a vancouver team that's outside the playoff picture at this point coming to providence park and i think a lot of us maybe thought that they would be juggling their lineup a little bit given yeah. they have the second leg of their Canadian Championship on Wednesday. They didn't really juggle their lineup that much. Played a really strong team. Had a really strong start in the first half. Ended up winning it 2-1. to one. Jamie, I'm giving out points this week. <laughs> you had one to nothing Timbers, but I think yeah. more in the spirit of this game, you kind of expected a typical Timbers performance. And maybe in some ways it was typical. We can talk <laughs> about that as the show goes on. But it certainly wasn't the Timbers performance you were envisioning. So I'm going to give you 1.8 points because you got a goal. You got the right number of goals for Portland. Uh, but as we know, this game was not yeah, a Timbers control <laughs> Probably a bit generous. Well, compared to what I had on here, I had Sebastian Blanco <laughs> scoring a goal and getting an assist. Uh, he created the penalty kick that went toward the goal, uh, but he didn't get on the score sheet at all, so I'm giving myself zero points. So we can move forward to talking about the actual game. It ends up being a record-tying streak, not a record-breaking streak, 15 in a row. Vancouver comes in, gets the win, knocks the Timbers to third place in the league, second place in the Cascadia Cup standings. What were your impressions of the game? Yeah, I I think... Uh, the worrisome thing here is that again it was a little bit of a tale of two halves and I feel like we've been saying that and we've been talking about 90 minute complete performances uh, what's the the Goldberg number on this game what's the Goldberg number (laughs) I don't know exactly I I mean maybe um, 
I just don't think the first half was good enough. I mean, you, I, I think maybe a 45-minute performance, but um, if you break it down um, too much, I, I mean, you can get nitpicky on that. But, yeah, it, it it just wasn't the first half you want from the Timbers. They obviously came out a little bit more attack-minded. They tried to do some different things. They did, in terms of their number of shots, um, create shots at least, uh, did not score from the run of play, uh, did had obviously the opportunity of two penalty kicks made one of them but I think in the last four weeks you look at this team at home in a spot that they really should be able to take advantage of these games playing at home after a long stretch on the road this season we were hoping maybe they'd come out with you know four wins even um that would have been a lot but they come out with two wins a draw and a loss and I think in all four games the first half's just not where they wanted to be they responded the second half against Houston with uh, they need an Audi goal to get that win against Montreal they concede two goals uh, avoidable goals in the first half have to fight back to simply get the draw Uh, against Philadelphia they don't concede but we talked after that game about how the first half they just weren't creating chances and until towards the end of that half they started turning things on and again against Vancouver I mean this it finally I think caught up with them they concede the two goals. The, the first goal, obviously, Jeff Adnella, uh, major mistake. Um, you can say the second goal was less of a mistake. I, I mean, Powell just simply got beat. Um, but Adnella comes way off his line, allows Kamara to score. And they put themselves a hole again in the first half. And, and this time they can't recover. So it sort of felt like this was coming. And that's especially at home not necessarily something you want to see. I agree with you. I don't know where to jump in to start expanding on things. I think generally I probably have a more positive view about things just because, I mean, some people would say I'm biased towards that view. But generally I think what we've seen this year makes sense, that Savarese broke down the team after week two. We saw the virtues of that breakdown start to take hold after the Orlando loss. And it's been kind of a slow and steady progression ever since. And I definitely am in the camp with people that thought, that the 15-game unbeaten run kind of exaggerated the quality of the team. And every once in a while in this league, when you're playing a 34-game season, a game like Saturday happens. You make a mistake against the wrong team, a team that is especially uh, equipped to sit back and defend that way, given the style of defenders that they have and the type of game that the Whitecaps like to play, and you end up losing a game. I don't think it's a big deal. I do think that there are a lot of positives to take from this. I think the criticisms of the Timbers attack are 100% valid, but I also don't think they're a big secret. I think the team, and Giovanni Savarese has kind of been acknowledging this for a while, needs to evolve how they play going forward. And even before Saturday's loss, he had been saying in press conferences and after games, you know, we're slowly expanding. Like two weeks ago, when we asked him in a press conference about the mistakes that Cascante had made against Houston and Montreal, he said that is part of the give and take of us developing to a team that's going to be attacking more. We have to be willing to live with and then compensate for those type of mistakes. On Saturday, they didn't compensate for those mistakes, but I think in the long run, if they play like they did on Saturday, it's going to be a positive trade-off. You're going to accept a few more losses for a few more wins that instead, those games would have probably been draws. And when wins are worth three points and losses are worth one, that's the kind of trade-off you have to be willing to accept. Well, I'm interested to hear from your perspective to build on that then is sort of, I mean, how do you feel about how Savarese is trying to build the attack up right now, especially given the personnel that he has? Yeah, I mean, people just heard my exhale. That's exactly what I was thinking of before you even said the personnel that he has, because the team has made this choice to weaken its forward core in order to take advantage of an offer that was made for Fernando Adi. And 
they were in a situation where they felt they needed to move Adi. But as a result, they're taking this short-term hit. I don't think anybody can look at this team, including the higher-ups with the Timbers, and say this team in its forward core is as talented as it was three weeks ago. Because there's a reason that Fernando Adi is Fernando Adi. Until they have one of these players that are kind of like, I imagine a depth chart where Armenteros is one, there's a blank two, and then there are five players at number three. There's Konechny, there's Milano, there's Aspria, there's Abobasi, and there's Langdorf. Until one of those threes become a two, that's the question that needs to be answered. I, I want to know what you think because I think the the biggest question around this team right now is whether there's going to be a second forward that emerges. Yeah, I, I think that's um, something I'm also going to get into a little bit later. But uh, I, I think that, yeah, that's that's a major concern right now. And when you're looking at this team and you're looking at Savarese wanting to build this team, it, they, he's... They've gotten results. He's, got, he's gotten them to a good point, but he wants to build them and continue pushing them forward in new directions, making them more attack-minded, being capable of playing dominant soccer when they need to. But if the personnel is not there, if they are, are going to play that way but not find a way to turn maybe a little bit more attack-minded soccer into goals, then they're going to open themselves up defensively. And mm-hmm. that's not going to be a trade-off that you want if, if you're not scoring the goals to make up for potentially giving up some more chances. So. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's good they're going through this process yeah. now. I mean, you need to know what you are before you hit these last months of the season. You're playing a Western Conference heavy schedule, and you need to know what team you have going into the playoffs because that will affect your approach through that last Absolutely. month of the season. But at the same time, I think it even goes beyond the strikers. We're seeing that Sebastian Blanco is now being preferred a lot more in central midfield. That's a compromise for the sake of being a better attacking team. Diego Valeri, a lot of times, has been playing as part of the two-forward set with Armenteros up top. He got pulled back into attacking midfield into the number 10 position against Vancouver. That's another concession. Bringing in David Guzman back into the team as somebody who his talents lie more in distribution than somebody like Lawrence Olam, whose talents lie in destruction. That's another trade-off. So... Are all these trade-offs going to pay off? I think, based on what you just said, it sparked something in my mind. Because I always just thought, this is the natural evolution of the team. But maybe kind of like what you were implying, is there a point where you have to go, we're beyond evolution at this point, and the risks no longer justify the rewards? Because there maybe isn't a reward coming here. I still think, evolve the team. Or take another month to assess where that team can evolve. But like you're implying, you got to keep open like the concept that this won't work. Yeah, and I think you you do give it time. You do see what works, and we've seen that Savarese is willing to make tweaks and see what works. But um, at some point, if the evolution he wants isn't going to work, just like in the beginning of the season when it clearly wasn't working, what Savarese wanted this team to do, he has to adjust. And maybe that means that this team isn't um, a team that's ever going to be playing dominant attack minus darker this year, but maybe they're still going to be winning games. I'm not sure where this team is going to go from here. I think there's a lot of questions, and it'll be interesting to see what the next few weeks, next month look like. But coming out of that Vancouver game, yeah, there, there's some positives when you're talking about how, maybe this is how the team's going to evolve. There were some good moments in terms of the type of soccer they're playing. Uh, but obviously it's not the result they want, and they, they're not able to score from the run of play. Absolutely not. Uh, the game was pretty straightforward. You let Kai Kamara have a ball <laughs> like that. That's one of the things Vancouver wants to do. Generated two more penalty kicks. They had chances to keep up. It just didn't happen, and this game didn't go their way. One of the ways that they can fix some of the problems that we've identified maybe happened in the transfer window. On Wednesday last week, Jorge Villafaña comes back from Santos Laguna, a 
something people wanted to happen but wasn't necessarily much of a rumor before it actually happened and then something that had been long rumored Lucas Milano comes back into the team a move that was confirmed on Thursday Jamie what are your reactions to those things I've, <laughs> I've written about them what's what's your reaction yeah um I, I mean with Jorge Viafania, I think that was a surprise <laughs> to to everyone um probably not you you probably knew in the club what was oh. going on but oh, no, no, for, no, no, no. for us was... on the outside um, i feel like there's usually those rumors popping up uh and that one was really kept under wraps yeah. until timber sent out that uh tweet uh, very <laughs> the obvious tweet the 1926 yes. tweet. <laughs> um but i think that i mean it, it, you they announced the vitas move and initially you're wondering, well, they didn't get a ton of return from him, and now they are lacking depth at that position. Why did they make this move? And obviously bringing Viafania clears that up. I mean, they weren't going to have any use for Vitas uh, now that Viafania is coming back in, is going to compete against Valentin for a spot. I mean, I covered the 2015 season. I, I covered 2014. I, I saw when Viafania came in here, his development um, during his time with the Timbers. Um, obviously, I haven't watched as closely since he's left, but he's been with the national team as well. I mean, he's a talented player that's going to offer something very different on the left side that the Timbers have been lacking. And I think they've really been lacking it um, ever since he left. I mean, they've they tried to replace him with Cludi. That didn't work out. Vitas comes in, and I, I think overall there were some good moments with Vitas in the lineup, but that never... You never got to the point where he felt like he was going to be the consistent answer either that Viafania ever was. And, and so now we've come full circle with him coming back in. Um, I think that's a really interesting move for the Timbers. And in terms of attacking, um, obviously it's not a forward they're bringing in, but going forward and, and creating some width in the attack and, and potentially um, opening up some more assists and more just creating of chances. Viafania is going to bring a lot to that. And, and he is, um, you know, he can provide the defensive side as well. But, um, but it's going to be very different, assuming he gets on the field, uh, than what we've seen from Zarek Valentin. And Milano, um, like I've said before on this podcast, I think that it made sense, given the circumstances for the Timbers to bring him in. It wasn't a huge risk. He was already under the Timbers' contract, and it was more about seeing um, seeing how he was going to do coming back in for the rest of the season and, and making a decision on what they want out of him after this year. He's... I mean, he hasn't proven he's a consistent goal scorer here in Portland or anything like that. I, I don't know what we're going to expect from Milano. He's obviously another tacking piece, but as you kind of laid out before, is he going to be someone that can score goals for the Timbers? Is, he, is this going to be different than his first time around? So I think there's a lot more questions um, in what that signing is going to be, even though I think it made sense that the Timbers made the move. It wasn't a huge risk or anything given I the mean, situation. Look, you send a player on loan, he wants to come back. He's coming back. Unless you're willing to basically give him some money to go away. And Milano, based on what the team saw for last year and a half, was a player they wanted to bring back. So that's pretty much a move that was going to have to happen. And because of the nature of his contract and the transfer fee, he was going to have to take a designated player spot for the rest of the season. So uh, I think the standard there is, is he going to be one of those players that takes that open spot on the depth chart? For, For Viafania, I think he did a good job laying out all the positives. I think... One thing that needs to be discussed is Zarek Valentin, because Zarek has played very well this year. I think what this move has forced a lot of us to do, and I've had conversations with people around the club and outside of the club about this, is really take inventory of where Zarek stands in the league at that position. And when you look at that position across the league, it's a position of instability for a lot of teams. A lot of teams don't have a left back that has started and performed as well as Zarek Valentin has. And then you look at some of the ones that have, they 
they just haven't been good or they lack in one part of the game. And I think you rightly note that maybe Zarek at the beginning of this year was lacking in one part of the game, the attacking phase of the game. But the team has figured out how to use his skill set that is much different than Jorge's as a positive. Um, but this having somebody like Viafania provides balance to what they do on the right side of the field with Alvis Powell. I personally don't know that Viafania is going to come in and be a better left back than Zarek Valentin. Based on their histories, I would say probably. Based on what we've seen over the last four or five months, maybe not. So I'm interested to see how that battle goes down because Valentin has been the team's most consistent defender this year. He's been incredibly important, pulling the team out of that first struggling phase of the year and establishing it as a solid defensive team. And to lose that is something that I think the coaching staff has to strongly, strongly consider. Um, but this coming week, it's probably not something that is going to be in play as Viafania is just getting back into the team. So we will probably be seeing Zarek Valentin a lot while the Timbers are on the road this week for two games. And let's start with DC United on Wednesday. Midweek game, quick turnaround, Portland's first ever visit to Audi Field. What are you expecting out of this one? Yeah, um, and to mention on uh, Viafania and Milano, um, they, the Savarese obviously uh, confirmed to us today that they're not even on, with the team traveling. So it's really not going to be a question until at least next week. Um, in terms of going to D.C. United, I, this is a team that I think has been – I mean, obviously D.C. United I think is second worst team in the league in terms of points right now, but they've been better at home. They've had to deal with a long road stretch. It's not necessarily fair to just look – at uh, the the points and assume this is going to be easy in any way for the Timbers. They're coming off a huge resort result to Orlando. I think Wayne Rudy, Rooney has added a lot to this team. I'm sure everybody's seen the highlight right now. <laughs> yes. For people who haven't seen it, Wayne Rooney in the 94th minute this weekend of a 2-2 game tracks back, wins a ball when DC United's net is empty because <laughs> they pulled their goalkeeper on a, on a corner. On a, I think it was a corner kick. I can't remember if it was a corner kick or just a restart down the flank. Anyways, he wins the ball, jumps up, claims the ball, <laughs> plays this 55-yard cross to Luciano Acosta, who completes his hat trick by being the shortest man on the field <laughs> winning that ball. And anyways, it was one of the great highlights of the season. But that's Absolutely. what D.C. United has to offer. And I think the final scoreline of that game is a pretty good indication of where D.C. United is at. The Portland Timbers have played Orlando. They kind of know what Orlando is. Dangerous team, but not very good. Orlando got some breaks to get a win in that one when Portland was down there. To win 3-2 at home against them, is, it's a decent result, and it shows you can get a result. But Portland's a better team than Orlando, and I think they should expect to fare better than Orlando. Whether that means a win, a draw, or a loss, I, I guess we can talk about later in the show. But I, don't, I think DC United is decent, but not great. Yeah, I think this is a game the Timbers absolutely could win on the road, but they are going on the road, and it is a short turnaround. I mean, that's going to be tough. DC United's also dealing with a short turnaround, but they're home and home, so they don't have to deal with the travel that the Timbers are going to have to deal with, and the Timbers are going to have to take into consideration, obviously, playing Kansas City on the weekend. Uh, so two games on a road in a short schedule. I, I sort of expect to see some changes to the lineup, at least if not this game against Kansas City. Yeah. A player like maybe Valeri, I don't know if he's going to be going uh, three games in eight days um, well, with two on the road. What we saw last time when they were in uh, Los Angeles, even though they didn't have to travel between game was that, games with that, Larry didn't start both games. 
Portland put out a stronger team than we expected in the Open Cup match midweek, but Valeri came off the bench late. So I would expect us to see Valeri in all of these games coming up, but I don't think I would necessarily expect him to see, play 90 minutes in each of these games. Yeah, and I think it'll... It, I have questions, uh, as we've already discussed a little bit, about how the attack's going to fare. I mean, if Valeri's maybe you know only going 16 each games or not starting one of them coming off the bench, Armentero's we know is fit heading into this DC United game. That's what uh, Savaresti told us today. Um, but if they have to make changes to that attacking unit any time where right now where Blanco, Valeri, and Armenteros aren't on the field um, is still a bit of concern for me. You know, I was listening back today at some audio from the past month of home games, just trying to mine some quotes. And some of the questions that you have been asking about why players are being used in this situation or why we aren't seeing certain players. What Savarese a couple of times said is that we have a busy August ahead of ourselves yeah. and these players are going to have a chance so even back in the middle of July, he was hinting that the players that you and a lot of fans have been concerned about, Obobese and Langsdorf, why aren't they seeing more time over a spear? What's your logic behind that? Even then, he's kind of dropping the hint that, look, you're probably going to see him in August. If they're playing, well, if they're playing this well and we have to make some different decisions, you're probably going to see him when these games start piling up. Okay, is that just talk or are we going to actually see it? I think we could probably admit that we're more likely to see those players now and that gives us some kind of hint as to how he might manage the week that's coming. Yeah, and he did, I mean, back at least in July, mention Ridgewell in, the, in that same uh, vein. So we will see. We will um, see. We don't man. know what the deal with that, but if he's, um, he's going to play at all for the rest of the season, it seems like now or never. Yeah. Um, at this point, I think we have to let the selections do the talking on Liam Ridgewell. So um, Kansas City game, you know, this is like last time we had a two-week game and we're trying to preview it on Tuesday. What are we going to say about the Saturday game before the Wednesday game happens? Obviously, Kansas City is a very good opponent. They're second place in the West right now. So as far as playoff positioning, this is an important game. But at the same time, it feels like in the larger picture of the Timbers' season and the Timbers' progress, it's just the next game after D.C. United. Yeah, I mean, I think the Timbers did overall well against Kansas City last time they played in the season. I think we were talking uh, after that game about sort of how the Timbers did a good job to handle not having Diego Char in that game. We assume that Diego Charo will be in this game Saturday as of now. Uh, we'll see if anything changes there. Um, but I think the Timbers did had a good performance last time they played Kansas City. It's going to be on the road. Um, that's going to be a tougher game. I, I think going to the stretch, I mean, it would be really disappointing if the Timbers go on the road and end up walking away with zero points, particularly after coming away from a homestand uh, where I, I think they can't feel satisfied. Um, it would, that would put them in a position where they would potentially lose three in a row. So while winning both these games might seem a bit optimistic on the road. They, they definitely are going to want some points yeah. from the stretch and two losses on the road, which can easily happen, especially in a short stretch um, would be really disappointing for this team. So this team right now has had road games in MLS play against Dallas leading the West Atlanta, leading the East uh, Red Bulls second in the East and then LAFC, a contender in the West. And so they have obviously lost one of those games pretty badly yeah. in the Red Bulls game, but the rest of the ones they drew, Exactly. I think we're at the point where almost any loss is a disappointment. Like You kind of expect the Timbers to be able to go on the road and not necessarily be the favorite to win. And maybe if they went to a place like Atlanta again, you wouldn't be disappointed if they lost. But seeing how they perform on the road, I don't think it's beyond expectation to expect them to get a result in every game. Now, it is against expectation to you know, expect them to win every single game the rest of the season. But game by game, 90 minutes at a time, 
I think the standard has to be getting results at this point. Well, I think that if they don't, if they can't, if they don't have good performances or they don't get results in these games, I, I think as we've been talking about, there are some issues that have popped up in the last few games at home about the slow starts, um, some defensive mistakes. If they go on the road and now you know can't get points, it kind of will signify a little bit for me that this team's in a little bit of a slide that they need to get out of. Um, I, I feel even with like mentioning the slow starts, we're kind of being it's like relative criticism. Like when you look at the teams around the league, which teams are putting in ninety-minute performances? You definitely have to critique every team's performance for what it is. If you're bad for twenty minutes, let's talk about those twenty minutes. But compared to the standard of their competitors. The Timbers are a very good, imperfect team, just like almost every team yeah. in this league is a very good, imperfect team. But uh, yeah, I think for us, we want to see every team continue to improve. We happen to be covering the Timbers. This is how they can improve, get from a Goldberg 58 to a Goldberg <laughs> 68. And the next chance to do that is on Wednesday. Um, we got some listener questions. Uh, Lyle, we've already answered part of your question. Uh, do Milano, do Viafania or Milano offer a different skill set that could drive this evolution? Uh, we talked to, Jamie talked a little bit about Viafania. I talked a little bit about Milano, but let's go to the question that led into that. Uh, with the Timbers evolution that Richard wrote about this week, do you expect a new formation to be used in either game this week? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that if Savarese wants to build off the Vancouver game, maybe he'll keep the same formation if he's really committed to, to trying to see out um, the evolution he he's trying to begin with and get a little bit more attacking mind and not necessarily wanting to go back to five in the back, um, which would maybe go backwards in terms of that evolution. I mean, we could see a different formation any game, um, but maybe in terms of four versus five in the back, if he is looking for more of an attack-minded approach, that might be something he doesn't want to switch. I think we are going to see a more defensive approach in these games, Mm -hmm. just from playing on the road. But I also think in this time that they're going to spend traveling, it did cost them a day of training already this week. They're going to have like a half a day of training sacrifice in their next trip. They're just not going to have as much time for tactical work. They're going to have to go with things that they know this week. I do... I would put money on the Lawrence Olam back line being put back into play for at least one of these games. But I do think in the future... This evolution that we're seeing now is going to make a 4-2-3-1 more likely or even a 4-3-3 more likely. I think that the team is going to evolve to the point where they're going to want to at least put that in opponents' minds. Now, I think as much as the forwards matter in that, who are these forwards that are going to step up? And as much as the wingers, now that there are there is Konechny and Milano and Blanco and Espria that can play on the wing, having a midfield that can hold down a three by themselves and be able to create out of that three is going to be crucial. And I think right now, if you were going to try to identify a midfield that can hold down kind of an unprotected three, um, whereas for a lot of times this year, it's been a three with an attacker above them in midfield. I'm not sure who you would pick at this point. Maybe there's a combination there, but until we see it on the field, it's going to be kind of hard to imagine it, particularly with how often Olum, Guzman, Paredes, Polo, Flores are all in and out of the lineup. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Mac asks, how soon before we see Viafania in the lineup? Um, Wednesday seems too soon. That's correct, because we know he's not with the team. Uh, but it looks like the squad's going to need a fair bit of rotation this weekend. And um, to add to that, coming up in the next few weeks, when, when do you think we'll see Viafania? Yeah, clearly, as we found out today, we're not going to see him this week. I would say that based on the pattern that we've seen from Savarese and how he integrates players, I wouldn't expect to see him next week either. It seems to be when you have players coming back from 
time away from the team, coming back from injury, being reintegrated. They need one or two weeks of training before Salvador say is comfortable. And usually they have to make a trip to T2. I don't know if we're going to see the Afania at T2, but um, let me know what you think. I think we're still looking at probably more than two weeks before we see Viafania. I actually think that we're going to see him sooner than that, and it's less because of the amount of training, and it's more because they have coming up after this Kansas City game a Sunday home game against Seattle followed by a Wednesday home game against Toronto. And That Wednesday followed, game does sound like a good chance. Followed after that by going on the road to New England Revolution. I think it would make a lot of sense for him to make his debut at home. Um, you know, sort of seems an easier way to ease someone back into the lineup. Yeah. And given that stretch with three games in, in seven days... Uh, yeah, three games in seven days. I think that Wednesday game against Toronto is a, a very likely spot where we're going to see Vipanya. I mean, to be honest with you, I think we could also see Marco Farfan in that game too. I think it'll depend on where Jorge Vipanya is when they actually start training with him. And that is still, as we found out today, seven days away. So I guess right now it's a little bit uncertain to tell. Let's go to the next question. Uh, Portland Tim Beers. Where is Christian Paredes, and what are your thoughts on him versus David Guzman? Strength and weaknesses contrasted would be a great exercise. Stretch it out, Jamie. Let's, let's get this exercise going. Uh, Paredes is with the team. He just, quite frankly, has lost his place. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to maybe see him in one of these games again with some rotation. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like maybe ever since uh, his performance, I want to say it was in Atlanta where he didn't do as well. Um, it has been a struggle for him to really get back into that lineup and reclaim that spot. I think Guzman has done better. Um, he, he had some different components. You mentioned, you know, distribution. Um, and Guzman is a veteran. I, I mean, when he's playing well or, or at least um, playing up to the level that SRS he wants to see, he, he's probably going to be a little bit more of a consistent option. Uh, and I think Paredes, as, as we've seen this season, it is going to be up and down as, as – a young guy, I think, is he officially twenty now? Yeah. Uh, so just twenty. Twenty-year-old kids we got running around here with between him, between him and Konechny, and Marco's approaching <laughs> it. So, so I think part of it just has to do with consistency and experience. And sometimes, as you get later in the season, you want some more experience. And if Guzman's been doing well, maybe that's the player you go with. Maybe it works a little bit better with the attack-minded approach, if that's the evolution that Savarese wants. Um, but I, I still think Paredes is going to get chances, and especially in August, as we keep saying, with this back to schedule, whether it's this week or next week, I think he's going to get a chance to get back in the lineup. I also wouldn't underestimate uh, what off-the-field factors might be coming into play here. And obviously, we're not at liberty to talk about those. I'm not at liberty to talk about those. But this is a 20-year-old person that is living in a new place for the first time, the first time he's ever lived in a non-Spanish-speaking country. He got off to a great start. But kind of like we were talking about with Julio Cascante a couple of weeks ago, maybe, you know, this is his first time in MLS. Maybe it might be a good idea to give him a break, allow him to reset. Obviously, that hasn't happened. Julio Cascante has been fine. But I think the logic still holds here. Got off to a great start, but he's still young. He's four years younger than Julio Cascante. At some point, it might make sense just to, like, Hit the brakes a little bit. Let yourself settle in. Enjoy life. Get accustomed to living in a new place, and then we can catch up. Because now we've got David Guzman coming back. We've got Andy Polo coming back. Andres Flores has established himself as a viable option here. We're moving Blanco back into the midfield. As opposed to Cascante, where the options were kind of thinning out at center back, central midfield is just incredibly deep for the Timbers, and I think he's both caught in a numbers game and a life game at this point. Well, uh, I guess that from there, let's move on to the Chris Reifer Memorial Hot Take Interlude. Ah, uh, yes. And I think we're going to 
go hotter, I guess, on um, some of the things we've already touched on a little bit, both of us. Um, I think are talking a little bit more about the transfer. Yeah, window. I'm looking at these notes now. There is a word here that is pretty hot. I mean, by our standards, this isn't really a hot take segment in, anymore. But there is one word that you have written down here that I, I think <laughs> elevates this to a to a microwaved take. Yeah. Well, so I, I guess I'll start. Uh, I am going to say that the Timbers are going to regret the Audi trade. There's the word. Yeah. Regret. Yeah. One of my favorite New Order songs. So New Order <laughs> was this band. Like in the 80s, this British Britpop band. You, wait, you, you're looking at me like you've never actually heard of New Order. You haven't heard of New Order? No. I probably wouldn't have brought it up if you if I knew that. <laughs> like it was half a joke. It's not a joke if you really haven't heard of New Order. Oh my gosh. This is my music. My music. Uh, I don't even know. It, this it's is hard to know. for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to know what, what I should know or not. My, my music knowledge in general is not that great. And then I also think you go with obscure bands, so I'm not even sure which side of the spectrum we're on right now. <laughs> okay. So everybody, if you have a favorite New Order song, send it to Jamie over Twitter, and we'll ask her to grade those songs in a lightning segment next week. Okay. What, what's the Goldberg 90 on regret? <laughs> we'll ask that. But go ahead with your hot take. Yeah, so I think that um, the Audi trade, I, I think that, as we talked about, you don't want a Destiny player sitting on the bench. Um, and obviously, Audi didn't want to be sitting on the bench for a long time and made sense uh, for the value and the situation for the Timbers to do this. But I think from this season's perspective, the Timbers are going to regret this trade because I don't think that they have the attack um, I just don't think they're going to have the goal-scoring threats they need uh, in the attack for the rest of the year. I don't think they're going to have a threat off the bench uh, coming in if they need a late goal. I I don't think there's a player that is going to prove it. I I don't have faith that suddenly we're going to see Milano or Espria or Bobasi or Langsdorf be that goal-scoring threat they need either off the bench or coming in into a two-front. And and without Audi, I I think the Timbers have lost – a significant amount of the attack they need to be one of the better teams in MLS and be competitive going into playoffs potentially and making a deep run. And without Audi, I'm just not sure that that attack is going to be as good as the Timbers need it to be to make that deep run. So I think this could be a game changer for the season. And even though it's been positive so far, without Audi there, without having replaced him with a they have attacking options, but with a consistent goal scorer, a guy they know is going to be able to come off the bench and score. I'm not sure how far this team's, team's going to get without him. So I think this is a trade that they're going to look back on, and I think they're going to regret it. I don't think they're ever going to look back on it and regret it, but I 100% agree that they should be as worried about everything that you just outlined as far as what it did to the depth chart, the, the possibilities it means going forward as far as the lack of versatility of your options coming off the bench. I think they also realize that too, and just based on the balance of options, decided to take the plunge and roll the dice on one of the five players we've listed before being able to step up. And right now, it doesn't look like such a great bet, but I don't think they're going to look back on the Audi trade and say, we shouldn't have done that. I think they might look back on it and say, it kind of stinks that we were in a position that we had to do that. And yeah, I mean, this, like we said earlier in the show, this is the biggest question mark around the team right now. And I personally am not convinced that they're going to have an answer for this by November. All right, my hot take, I've already kind of said it too, so I'll just put it in the hottest hottest phrasing possible. I don't think Jorge Villafaña should be given the left back spot. 
I've already kind of made the case for Zarek in that I think that he's incredibly valuable to the defense and he's playing at a level that he's never reached before. And the fact that he's never reached it before, I think, is a great argument for bringing in Viafania because you don't know if Zarek Valentin's had four good months or if this is the new Zarek Valentin. But this is the current Zarek Valentin. And until this current Zarek Valentin is suddenly not a good player, I consider that a fight for the position. Jorge Viafania offers something. Zarek Valentin offers something different. I honestly don't know which is better. We have this vision of Jorge Villafaña that rightfully is a positive one based on 2015. 2018 MLS is a lot different than 2015 MLS. It's a lot better. Not to say Jorge Villafaña can't fit in, but Zarek Valentin has proven he can fit into 2018 MLS. He's proven he can fit into the 2018 Timbers. I just think Jorge Villafaña has to earn it. I'm sure everybody agrees with that. But I think he has to earn it before we should just assume that he should be in the starting eleven. I mean, I don't think that Savaresi is going to just hand him the spot. And, and I, I think he, given the culture that Savaresi's tried to create in the locker room, that that's just not something he can do. Even if he, he's excited to get Viafania in, he has to he has to earn it. But I think he's going to earn it. And I think it's unfortunate for Zarek, who might ultimately be competing more with Alvis Powell towards the end of the season for a right back role than potentially the left back role. So wait, do you th- you think Jorge Viafania is a better player than Alvis Powell? I mean, like, I think Ori Vifania is a more consistent player than Alvis Powell. Well, okay, that's, that's a little <laughs> bit weird. I mean, I don't think anybody would like say Alvis rolled a high consistency trade. Yeah, but like, so I mean, peak Alvis Powell is better than Jorge, but you're saying that trough Alvis Powell is worse. What's his mean? Is is his mean higher or lower than Jorge Vifania? It probably a little lower. I mean, Alvis Powell Ooh. has been Alvis Powell has been good recently, but he's also been. Up and down. We we know we know what we've seen from Alvis Powell. We've seen Zarek Valentin specifically beat Alvis Powell out for a spot before because because he's a good player, Jay. Because he's a good player and Alvis Powell is inconsistent. But the the thing is, especially as the Timbers are trying to be a little bit more attacking and trying to find the attack from somewhere, they might need their outside backs to get forward more. That might be part of the solution. Oh, definitely. And. They, they at least need that option to exist if they want to have that balance. Exactly. And I, I just, as much as Zarek, I think, has improved and tried to add more to his game and is getting forward a little bit more often, it doesn't compare to what Viafania can do in the attack. It hasn't compared at least. And I, I don't believe that Viafania is stuck in this MLS 2015 universe. He went to League MX and yeah, no. he had some up and down time there, but... Also earned a lot of starts uh, yeah, for he, a good team in, in Liga MX. So has been with the national team, has played on, on that level as well. Uh, what I'm saying is that people's memories of Jorge Villafaña are stuck in 2015, which is probably true because I don't think a lot of people are watching a lot of Liga and yeah. Yankees games. But we just can't take it for granted that he's going to come back in and be at levels. I also get a little bit uncomfortable with this idea that like Jorge Villafaña is just inherently better than Zarek Valentin going forward, which I kind of do believe. But I kind of b- believe it's a little bit of apples and oranges at this point because we talked about it before, how the attack has evolved to where, like on, uh, like on Saturday when they brought Polo in and they started playing very wide with him. But you saw Zarek Valentin coming in and actually providing help in that layer that was maintaining possession in that part of the field. And that's something Jorge Villafaña is not going to be as good at. Now, you can definitely argue, and in the back of my head, I'm already saying to myself, that's not as valuable as what Jorge does. But it is. there's this tendency to say that Zarek Valentin doesn't do the things that Jorge Villafaña does, therefore he doesn't contribute an attack. I don't think it's that simple, but I do ultimately think Jorge 
Jorge Villafania contributes more going forward? I just think that Jorge has a big advantage going forward as being a natural left-footed left-back. I mean, there's See, things that Valentin thing has like, to compensate for. Valentin talks like about that. No, when we start seeing like you can go across the world and there are people playing inverted fullbacks all the time. Absolutely, but I think with what the Timbers have been trying to get out of their outside backs and what we've seen from Alvis Palace side, I think that Jorge Vifani would fit really well into what Sovereign would want out of this team. And even Zarek Valentina said, you know, as a right-footed left back, I've had to compensate in this, this, and this area to, to make it, you know, work. Yeah, I think in his heart, Zarek doesn't even consider himself a fullback. He considers himself a center back. <laughs> I, I really do, because that's how he was brought up when he was... Doing. Yeah. But no, I mean, I think I'm doing a lot of, like, devil's advocate stuff here when I actually agree with what you're saying. I just think that there's more nuance to this conversation. I think a lot of times it has been just kind of like, oh, Jorge is inherently better at this and this. It's like, maybe. But there are, like greens here and kind of get the feeling you can say that about any argument we'll and I'm just, see. yes we'll see how it goes <laughs> okay moving on we've got the other club under the ptfc banner the other first division club at least played a game on saturday overall a convincing performance even if the first 10 or 15 minutes were not <laughs> the thorns get a two to nothing victory over orlando fellow fellow playoff contending orlando yeah. they go to third place in the league Overall, I think this is probably a good performance, but before we get into the prediction review, I want to get your initial reaction. What did you think about the way the game shook out? Yeah, I I think it was overall a good performance. I think they're on a road in a tough place. I think they weathered the storm early on. It was even for much of the game, but then the Thorns are able to find a way to get a decisive win, and I, I think that's what this team needs to do late in the season as they're going to playoff stretch. I also think you see the consistency, I guess, not even necessarily the consistency on defense because they are still making decisions on whether they want Purse or Ellie Carpenter back there, but that's Mm -hmm. the decision they're choosing to make. It's not a situation that's being forced on them as as it's been for much of the season. Having the the back line they want and having AD French apparently did not take much time for her to get better from that injury (laughs) once she got back on the field. Having her playing at her best, this team won a championship last year, won the 2016 NWSL Shield on the back of their defense. And I think we're starting to see what their defense can do when it's back to their best. And, and I think that means maybe, you know, if they're a little bit shaky in the beginning, A.D. French is the one that's going to come up with the saves to make sure that this team is still has a clean sheet. Um, and whether that's going to be the center backs coming up with plays. I, th- I think when the defense gets the job done, and, and if there's a mistake, they, they compensate for it by not allowing a goal. That's when this team has the opportunity to be at its best, and then the attack can find the goals at some point, which they're going to. They have enough talent to find the goals. As long as the defense uh, can do their job, it gives attack the opportunity to get the win. And I, I think that's what you saw in this game. They weathered the beginning. Um, the French had a great game. I think she won save of the week. Um, she won player of the week, too. It was announced a couple hours ago. Player of the week, save of the week, and they get the result they need to, to be where they want to be in the playoff race. So overall for me, very positive. What a, what a difference a week makes with Jamie Goldberg. <laughs> so down on the thorns after losing to Carolina. I still so, am uh, not convinced that the, this team is better than Carolina or they're not better than Carolina yeah, right now, or can compete on the same level as Carolina. So I think these are two separate things. I think this is the performance they needed against this team and against, I think against Chicago, we'll get into that. I think against Seattle, I think against the rest of the league, they are capable of, 
But I guess my implicit point by bringing it up is this might just be the same team facing different opponents and you're talking about them in much different ways. But the difference is that they can face, they can get the job done and this team, the same team can get the job done and compete and show their strengths against every opponent in the league except North Carolina. And I'm not convinced they're ever going to be able to get to the point where they can do that against North Carolina. Fair enough. It's understandable that you're speaking more positively after a win as opposed to a loss. But I think part of what we need to do is tell people that, look, they played very good against a great team and lost 2-1 to one on the road. They played very good against a slightly above average team and won 2 nothing on the road. But it's kind of the same team both times. The difference in quality between Carolina and the Pride is pretty huge right now. There's a huge gap, I think, in level right now between the Courage and the Thorns only. Courage and the Pride? I mean, you, you can drive a motorhome through that right now. But let's get to the prediction before we think about it, because we can talk about this more. Jamie, you predicted this would be a 1-1 draw. Uh, when you made that one, I thought it was a decent prediction, but I also think thought it kind of overrated the pride a little bit. <laughs> Maybe underrated the Thorns coming off of a draw in Carolina. I think it was more about just the pride, because they have a lot of talent, but they're also kind of hit the skids a little bit. I gave you 1.8 points for the incorrect Timbers prediction. I'm going to give you 0.9 points for this. Um, didn't get the score right. Didn't get the spirit of the game right. But you weren't that off. He's so off that I'm going to give you a zero. Uh, my side bet was neither Alex Morgan or Cindy LaRue would score. Cindy uh, LaRue has come down with an illness. Um, that was released in the middle of last week after we made the prediction. So I kind of got some fortune there. Alex Morgan not scoring. She's only scored four goals this year. That sounds like a daring bet when you consider Alex Morgan the person that's above the marquee and has her own movies. It's not such a daring bet when you actually look at the numbers for this year. I'm going to give myself 11.2 points because these side bets are just hard to hit, but I'm not going to grade it as if it's like this great side bet that came true. Um, Going back to the Pride game, look, they got off to a bad start in the first 10 or 15 minutes. Mark Parsons after the match basically said the Pride were just really good over that time. To what extent do you agree with him? I actually, reviewing the tape a couple times, I'm just like, this is a home team that's up for this game and just got to weather the storm. Yeah, I, I think that the, I think the home team is a big part of it. I mean, the, I think the pride just came out well at home, and, and the Thorns did have to some degree weather it. I think the Thorns could have been better, but it wasn't super concerning um, given how they were able to shift, I think, after you know those 10 to 15 minutes. It wasn't a full first half, um, and they were able to weather that storm. Um, even though the Pride had opportunities, they were able to come up and keep the clean sheet. Um, I think talking to Savaresi today uh, about the Timbers, and he's saying one of the biggest problems with these slow starts is not just that we're having slow starts, but that within those slow starts, we're making the defensive mistakes that are leading to goals. And then we, how do we recover from that? We're putting ourselves in a much worse position. Yeah, the Thorns didn't necessarily have the best first 10 to 15 minutes. The Pride were up for their game at home but they found a way to get through that phase and put themselves in a position where they still had every chance to win. And then they were able to score the two goals and win. So that's such a good point to translate over. We should be asking Gio every week, what he thought of the Thorns result (laughs) and vice versa, right? Yeah. uh, It it sounds like both coaches are watching each other. So it would be interesting (laughs) to see if they wanted to really get in. Probably didn't want to step on each other's toes by analyzing the other team too much though. Uh, I don't really have much to add to this. We've already talked about this a lot. I think one thing that I wrote about this week that I think is kind of interesting is with Tobin Heath rounding back into form, we're seeing teams really concentrating on her a lot. And I think as a result, we're seeing Haley Rosso 
have a much bigger impact on these games. She always has the energy. She always has the will to have an impact on these games. But when you're also opening up the field for her as much as they are, it allows her to do things like come in from the right, claim a second ball off of a Cernogorshevich header, turn and score a goal. And if teams are going to be so focused on making sure Tobin Heath doesn't beat them, Christine Sinclair, you're going to clog up the middle and make sure she doesn't get into the spot she wants to. We have to have people ready to pick up Lindsey Horan as she's making her runs from midfield. Then Anna Sornogosevich is going to have more room. And Haley Rosso is going to have more room. And on that right flank, Ellie Carpenter is going to be able to get forward as much as she wants. And Mitch Purse is going to be able to get forward as much as she wants. And this is kind of the exact same thing that happens against the Courage. Teams facing the Courage have to pick, pick how they're going to lose the game, essentially. Make a bet. And Mark Parsons basically said two weeks ago, we're going to let Merritt Matthias cross from up high. We're going to let Jaylene Hinkle do this, but we're not going to let Lynn Williams and Jessica McDonald beat us. And that's kind of where they fail because Lynn Williams had two goals and Jessica McDonald set up one of them. The Thorns basically were given a scenario where Haley Rosso is going to beat the Pride if it's going to happen. And Haley Rosso beat the Pride. And that's what happens with talented teams. And I think that's one reason to be encouraged going forward. Uh, speaking of going forward, speaking of talented teams, <laughs> Saturday, Providence Park, a huge game. Chicago has two games in hand. They'll only have one game in hand by the time they face Portland this weekend on Saturday at Providence Park. Chicago playing in Seattle midweek. Uh, they're a playoff contender right with the Thorns. They're a contender for seeding right with the Thorns. They bring in arguably the best player in the world in Sam Kerr to face the Thorns. Thoughts on this one, Jamie? Yeah, I, I think that the Thorns should be able to win this game. I mean, if the Thorns are, if everything positive I just said is true and they can compete with any team in the league, um, maybe outside of North Carolina, this is a game they need to win. It's at home. Uh, Chicago is going to be playing on short rest. Uh, That is going to impact them whether or not, obviously they're not making a long travel between Seattle and Portland, but they are playing on short rest. That's going to play a role. I, if the Thorns can do what I was saying, if they if the defense can carry this team and mm-hmm. give the attack the opportunity to be in a position where a goal or two goals is going to win them the game, then the Thorns are going to get the job done. And that means that the defense has to show, um, now that AD's back uh, at full health and now that they have their pick uh, of uh, pretty much the, the back line they want, um, obviously Catherine Reynolds' season-ending injury, but with the available options, they have their pick of the back line they want. If they can show that they can stop Sam Kerr or at least limit her production um, and maybe limit Chicago to even like one goal, then they should be able to get the win at home. And so this is, I think, is a challenge for the defense. And the Thorns are looking like they have the personnel to be up to that challenge. No, I mean, I think this is Sam Kerr's first visit to Providence Park since pretty much single-handedly beating the Thorns (laughs) last year when she was with Sky Blue, where she had two goals and an assist and took a... Bad Sky Blue team, not as bad as this year, but bad Sky Blue team and took three points out of Providence Park. And she can definitely do that again. And the Thorns have faced Chicago twice already this year. They won the first game of the year uh, meeting between them. It was the second game of the year for the Thorns where both teams were just depleted and really doesn't tell us anything about what these two teams are now. But in the last visit to Chicago, it was a 1-1 draw where Lindsey Horan came through with a, another converted set piece just after halftime. I <laughs> just ring that bell again and they got a 1-1 draw. I agree with everything you're saying. To me, I know North Carolina is playing well, but in terms of pure talent, these are the two most talented teams in the league. These are the teams that have the most enviable collection of players. A credit to Kapal Riley that he has taken a talented team, but not one as talented as the Thorns and the Red Stars, and made them into a juggernaut. But when you're talking in terms of 
players matching up against each other, who you want to see play, who has the most Tobin Heaths and Sam Kerrs and Vanessa DiBernardos and Lindsey Horans of the world. This is the game that you want to see. The two most talented teams in the best atmosphere in the league. But this is a game that the Thorns really, really need to win. If not to secure a place in the playoffs, because I think they'll be fine if they draw, if they lose, as far as being able to stay in the playoff race, just to stay ahead of Chicago, just to keep Seattle within distance and have a chance to claim that two seed. Even a draw in this game is a setback at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at home and against a team right around them in the standings, the Thorns, there's very limited room for error right now. Absolutely. Um, So going on to some of the questions that we had, thank you for sending in Thorns questions from Donna, the probability of the Thorns taking over second place in the standings before the end of the year. She's asking for a number, I think. Yeah. um, It's, it's a tough one. Um, I'm going to say 30, 35%. Yeah. They're behind four points on Seattle with four games to go and they lose the tiebreaker to the rain. So they need to be within two points by the time the teams play at the end of the year. And then they have to beat them for the first time this year. I think it's like 24%. I think it's pretty low because even before that last meeting of the year, the Rain are going to have to stumble. Now, the Rain do play North Carolina one more time. That's the opening. But the Thorns are going to have to be perfect and the Rain are going to have to 24%. Yeah. Next question is from Richard Hanji, who uh, submitted this question via the Stumptown Footy Slack uh, he asks, granted that given the MVP to the Golden Boot winner is lazy and redundant, in the case of Lindsay Horan, assuming she gets the Golden Boot, can you not make an argument that she deserves both honors? I think the way he means to phrase this is, can you make an argument that she shouldn't be MVP if she wins Golden Boot? I mean, I, I, I think that we've talked about why, even if Lindsay Wren doesn't win the Golden Boot, she should probably be considered for MVP just because she adds so much outside of just the goal scoring. And it's unfair to just judge a player based solely on goal scoring if that's all they're really offering. And so, yeah, I think if Lindsay Wren wins the Golden Boot, she, she's absolutely going to win the MVP. I think if she doesn't win the Golden Boot, she should be in contention. I think... The one thing that might not be going for her is that often you do look at your MVP from the best team in the league mm-hmm. um, and, or, or the team that at least a playoff contender, which we do expect, I think, likely the Thorns will be in the playoffs at this point, but we don't know for sure. Sometimes the MVP just – you it, it goes to one of the players from uh, one of the best teams in the league. Yeah. And so maybe um, a player like Lynn Williams um, gets a, a little bit of a push-up from that. Yeah, I think – Building off of that, we can look at North Carolina. I think they have three players who have been in the MVP discussion to varying degrees this year and with varying degrees of merit. You mentioned Lynn Williams. Uh, If Lynn Williams wins MVP based on being the leading scorer of the team at the top of the table, that'll be ridiculous. She's not... And she shouldn't even be in this MVP discussion. She's one of the top 10 players in the league this year, I think. She's gotten there. She's not in this category. I don't even think she's even top two on her team. McCall Zerboni has had a better year than Lynn Williams, I think, in terms of this discussion. But the MVP, true MVP candidate from North Carolina is Crystal Dunn. And I think she's one of two people that could really build some steam to knock off Lindsey Horan. I'm starting to hear people also mention Megan Rapino from Seattle. To me, that doesn't, that doesn't jive with me. I don't watch Megan Rapino and think she's been as good as Crystal Dunn or Lindsey Horan. But I think a lot of people are using this criteria that I've always hated in all sports. The, well, if you took her away from this team, what would they be? Because to me, that always gives that person's individual performance credit for the people around her not being as good. And that that doesn't affect her her performance or not. She performs the same either way. 
you're punishing Lindsay Horan because she's on the same team as Christine Sinclair. This is an award that's supposed to recognize individuals, not punish them for being on good teams. So for me, if I were still voting for this, it would come down to Crystal Dunn and Lindsay Horan. I think over the last month, Lindsay Horan has passed Crystal Dunn. But if Crystal Dunn had a just a dynamite last month of the season, I would keep my mind open to voting for her. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do vote for these awards, and right now it's Lindsay Horan for me. Yeah. We'll see what the last month of the season holds. Prediction time, Jamie. Prediction time. We've got three games to predict this week. Uh, next week, Jamie is going to be giving the points, and hopefully she remembers that I gave her <laughs> a little bit for both of her predictions this week. Let's not worry about that now. Let's get to the actual predictions. Wednesday game, Timbers at DC United. First game in Audi Field. The result will be? I'm going to predict a 1-1 draw, which wouldn't be a terrible result. But um, DC United hasn't been great this season. And I think the Timbers, if they want to show that they are one of the better teams in the league, this is an opportunity to go on the road um, and and get at least a result, uh, even though DC United has been uh, better at home. Yeah, I think that'd be a good result. Um, my side bet on this is uh, I think Diego Valeri is going to score a goal. and <laughs> Low probability. Exactly. If I get that right, maybe seven points just from the fact. <laughs> but, yeah, this is not going to be like, whoa, how would you see that coming? But just look, just um, thinking about how DC plays, thinking about how Giovanni Savarese has been deploying his attack lately and what he's been having them do, plus just the Diego Valeri maybe feeling a little bit frustrated um, even though he's gotten on the score sheet the last couple of games, they haven't been from open play, and he might be a little bit frustrated by the way the attack is playing and might take it upon himself a little bit. Saturday game, Portland at Sporting Kansas City. Obviously, this one was a draw at Providence Park, but this time at Children's Mercy, it will be... Yeah, I, I'm. the Timbers have historically had some trouble against Uh-oh. Kansas City. I don't know about this She's explaining herself already. But I, looking at some of the recent performances, I'm not super confident going into this um, trip and, and the short rest and compacted schedule and travel. I'm going to predict that Kansas City is going to win one to nothing. Wow. 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 What, 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 watch me be right. <laughs> wow. I mean, well, I mean, that's about as daring a prediction as me predicting a Valeri goal, though. Look, I'm, I'm going to predict a side bet that's obviously in conflict with you. I'm going to say Portland gets a clean sheet in this one. Um, they didn't get a clean sheet in Atlanta, but they held them to one goal. Uh, they did get a clean sheet at LAFC in the MLS game. I think the approach is going to be very similar. I don't think Sporting Kansas City's attack is nearly as good as either of those teams. I don't think it's going to be that entertaining of a match on Saturday. I think the Timbers are going to be very happy to prioritize keeping a clean sheet in that one. The game before that one, as far as chronology is concerned... Oh, no, after that one. Sorry. The Thorns game is directly after, after. Directly after the Timbers game. Timbers game is at 5 o'clock, I believe. 5 p.m. kickoff on... I believe it's 5.30. And then it's a 7.30 uh, kickoff, kickoff at Park. Thorns. Okay. Last game to predict. Thorns versus Chicago. Jamie? I, I've i been praising the Thorns defense all yeah. this entire this I was entire about to podcast. jump on you for this. Um, <laughs> but looking at these two teams, I'm going to predict a score based not on what I've been praising and more on just looking at the two teams um, and thinking about Sam Kerr on Chicago. I'm going to predict the Thorns are going to win this one, but it's going to be 3-2. to two. I got kind of a weird side bet here. In the last two games the Thorns have played Chicago, both in Chicago, Rory Dames, Red Stars head coach, has been left lamenting his team's inability to mark Lindsey Horan on set pieces. And I think he's really going to stress that this week, just as every team should. But for Chicago, there's a little bit more impetus because it's happened two games in a row. I think stressing that is actually going to lead to Chicago 
giving up a penalty kick at some point in this game. Maybe it's somebody taking down Haran. Maybe it's somebody just taking the increased emphasis on defending in the box a little bit to an, another level. Maybe it's also just the Thorns earning it. But I'm saying that Chicago concedes at least one penalty kick in this game. All right. Um, well, that brings us to the fantasy update. Uh, in third place, we have Hebrew Steel with uh, 190 points. Beer City FC is in second place uh, in this fall oh, this league. Oh, the new season. Yeah. Okay. Uh, with 191 points, they still have some catching up to do. Uh, to first place, which is Blood, Bath, and Beyond, uh, 197 points. Well, that's close between those two. It's very close. It's also very early. So yeah, well, that's kind of cool that Beer City is even that close to the top this early. <laughs> a lot of variance this early in the season. You never know. They, maybe they had a tough schedule. I don't know what these fantasy schedules are like. <laughs> yeah, you, need to, you need to start looking at the schedule since you're like Beer City FC fan yeah. uh, number one now. BCTID. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On that note, um, that's all for today. We're Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on uh, OregonLive.com, Stumptown Footy, and uh, Timbers.com. Or you can, sim- can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next week, take care.